0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. I don't know about you, but do you feel like things just can't get worse? I just... I turn on the television or I get on my phone and natural disasters that are just happening across the globe they're ravaging particular communities political discourse partisan rhetoric is dividing families and friends and churches it's becoming ever more expensive to just live people's wages aren't going up things just feel really really broken here in the united states we are so obsessed with financial gains with economic prosperity That the rich just get richer and the poorer get poorer. So much so that we've allowed capitalism to become the thing we worship. It is our own new religion. And the evils of capitalism, of which there are many, are as real as the evils of militarism and the evils of racism. We are currently spending more money every year on national defense than we are on every program of social uplift combined. When weapons become more important than people, it is a sign of our own imminent doom. And ways big and small, we are perpetuating a culture in which one out of every three black men can expect to go to prison at some point in their lives. The price that we must pay for the continued oppression of black bodies in this country is the price of our own destruction. Now before I go on, I just want to be clear that everything I just said, or nearly everything I just said, is not unique to me. I didn't sit down in my office this week and think, that's how I want to start my sermon this week. These words I stole from another preacher. His name was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You ever heard of him? Tomorrow, countless kids across the country won't go to school in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And for good reason. He was a man committed to a vision of the kingdom that others refused to see And it cost him his life. But one of the things that we forget here in 2020, more than 60 years after he was assassinated, is that shortly before he was killed, he was one of the most hated men in the country. They did a survey almost a year to the day before he was killed, and two out of every three Americans said they did not agree with Dr. King. Two out of every three. That's hard for us to remember that, those who were around when it happened, because today, everybody loves Dr. King. I think we love him because we've sanitized what he had to say. And it's a lot easier to love somebody when they're no longer challenging or upsetting the status quo. It's easier to love a hero when they're dead. And Dr. King, he wasn't just an activist for the civil rights movement. He was also a frustrating voice of the powers and principalities about the Vietnam War, about the rise of capitalism, about rampant poverty, lack of education, Today, we're far more content with remembering his speech about having a dream. That dream has not yet come to fruition. We are far away from his dream. But that dream, whatever it might become, is not possible without transformation. If you change nothing, nothing will change. Dr. King's life, his death, they are an ever-present reminder that things cannot remain as they once were. Because grace It's really messy. Each of Paul's letters, all the churches, they all begin with a call of grace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of his letters. And every one of his letters also ends with that same grace. He bookends these writings to these churches with a pronouncement of grace. And grace is one of those all too important words in the church that we throw around without ever really thinking about what it means. Sometimes when I hear about grace, even sometimes when I talk about grace... Sounds like this thing that's just sort of floating in the atmosphere. We can breathe it in if we want it, and we can ignore it if we don't. But that's not what grace is. The arrival of Jesus Christ into the world, a new reality with God and God's creation, it is a gift. It is all part of this cosmic reorientation of all things, in which we are in communion with God forever and ever. We are freed from our slavery to sin and death. And it comes to us in spite of our earnings and in spite of our deservings and is made available to all without cost. It's not expensive. It's not cheap. It's free. Grace is, in every sense of the word, a gift. We have been gifted with a rescue away from something and we've been regathered into something new we call communion. But this gift we call grace is so fundamentally different than every other gift we think about. Because now, whenever we're given a gift that we weren't expecting when we're given something that we weren't expecting at all, we don't respond by being grateful for the gift. The first thing we think about is, no, now I have to give them something back in return. Think back to Christmas. It wasn't that long ago. Did anyone give you a gift and you didn't get them a gift? Were you so happy they gave you a gift or did you feel terrible because you thought, great, now I've got to go to Target and get them something? For some reason in this world of gift giving, we're always trying to make sure the scales are equal all the time, that we never have to owe anyone anything. But the gift of grace is completely different. We cannot repay the gift of grace. No amount of work, no amount of giving, no amount of money, no amount of faithfulness, no amount of morality can make up for the gift of grace. It is given and the scales will always be in God's favor. And when we think about grace, it's just like this concept in our minds, you know, oh grace. What is in the early church, grace was a real, tangible reality. In the early church, they gifted things among themselves. They gave each other things like food, money, clothing. They took care of each other. And they took care of the people who needed it the most. And they didn't do it by keeping some sort of ledger book and saying, okay, I gave Crystal a coat. Now, we've got to make sure Crystal gives me one back. And I gave a meal to Louise, so Louise, you better give me some food too. It was just done. No expectations of receiving anything in return. They tried to live out grace. The gathering of disciples, the thing we call church, we are called to live lives of generosity. That is so obvious and so known that only a God generous enough to give his only son for an evil and sinful humanity can explain that kind of living. Grace changes everything, including us. Grace means we cannot be what we once were. There's a lot of talk in the church today about how God loves you just the way you are. And that is absolutely 100% true. God loves you just the way you are. That is grace. Grace comes to you no matter what. But if God only loves you just the way you are, then it makes a mockery of what grace can do in your life and in my life. The letters of Paul, the stories of Jesus, they remind us again and again that there is more to grace than just being accepted for who we are. And again, we are accepted. Grace abounds. But we are also in a kingdom of grace. That means we have been changed. Let me put it this way. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. Think about all the things he said. Think about all the things he did. Can you imagine that he would have been successful if every time he got to a podium, he said, God loves you just the way you are. You don't have to change one thing about your life. Two things would have happened. No one would have known him and no one would have killed him. You don't get killed for saying God loves you just the way you are. You get killed for saying God loves you the way you are and God also wants you to be better. What good is a dream of something new if all we do is stay the same? You know, God's grace is super messy. It's messy because it is a gift given for free. We don't have to change. We don't have to do anything before we receive it. And we don't have to do anything after we receive it. Paul will remind the church about this again and again in Corinthians. Grace is less about our need to change. And it's more about how God is changing us whether we know it or not. That's what the church is all about. It's why we read scripture. It's why we sing songs. It's why we have the bread in the cup because God is making us new. If it were up to us alone to change, we wouldn't do it. It is far easier to remain the same, to hold on to the old visions of the past than it is to embark on a different journey. Our captivity to sin keeps our feet firmly planted in the ground instead of taking steps or even leaps of faith. But thankfully, God will not leave us to our own devices. God is in the business of raising the dead. If you're anything like me, you don't like hearing all this talk of personal development or change. The shoulds, the coulds, the musts, it just kind of leaves us feeling exhausted. When we leave church hearing about all the things we must do, all we do is really feel guilty about the stuff we're not doing. Which is why it's a paramount importance to remember that the kingdom of God is not Conditional. The kingdom of God exists whether we participated in it or not. The empty tomb is empty whether we get our acts together or not. And yet God is using all the means at God's disposal to re-knit us and to rewrite our stories even today. The world, all of us, we cannot remain as we are. God won't allow it. God is faithful even when we're not. God believes in us even when we don't believe in ourselves. God is working toward a vision of something we cannot yet see. And God is taking us along for the ride. Which is all to say that when we consider the kingdom, it's not just about being accepted. We are at war with the powers and the principalities of this world. That insist insist on making the first firster and the last laster. Our king of kings is completely different. Jesus doesn't rule with an iron fist. He doesn't rule with boots on the ground. He rules from a cross. He rules in death. There's nothing messier than that. His death is what sets us free. I know I started all this with talk of Martin Luther King Jr. and some of his forgotten quotes. He was radically committed to seeing a different world. And to some degree, he knew it was going to kill him. In fact, the night before he was killed, the last time he spoke publicly, he wasn't addressing uh, the need to dismantle Jim Crow laws. He wasn't talking about the right to get black individuals to vote. He was speaking in Memphis, Tennessee, about establishing a union for sanitation workers. He stood before a packed crowd that night. He talked for 90 minutes about how they would get organized, what it would look like, what they needed to do. And the last recorded words that we have from Dr. Martin Luther King are these. I don't know what's gonna happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind like anybody. I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight, as a people, we will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And the next day he was dead. God's grace is about being part of a kingdom that the world doesn't want. It's about how God makes a difference, and that difference means we are different. The good news of Jesus Christ is made manifest in things like the water of baptism. That changes us. It's made manifest in the bread and the cup. That changes us. God does not accept the current realities of this world. God does not accept the banalities of evil that run all too rampant, but God believes in us. God is faithful and the kingdom is at hand. We will get to the promised land. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, you must be up to something. You've gathered a bunch of sinners together to tell them that they are loved. You must be up to something because you've gathered us together to hear about your love, but also to push us, to prod us, to nudge us. We might not stay where we are, but take steps toward where you're calling us to be. As we prepare to receive these gifts, O Lord, these gifts of grace, this bread and this cup, help us to remember a truth that we have forgotten. That if we change nothing, nothing will change. All God's people say.